Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. We believe that we are on a frontier. We are not pioneers. We are frontiersmen. And that means that we are between where we were in terms of our religious upbringing and our religious understanding and where we're going. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know what the destination is going to be. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to finish our conversation on sin and shame, specifically on sin. And we're going to wrap up by talking about how sin can be used in this frontier. We talked about already our upbringing and some of the challenges and joys with that. And we talked about where we saw the cracks and how we moved away from that traditional understanding of sin and how we're uncomfortable with that. And today we're going to finish up by talking about where we go from here. When we ended our last one, I know that I had kind of said, you know, I'm not really sure exactly where we go from here. I am still working on that. And I did come up with some ideas, but I thought since uh, I think Nate's a little further along than I am in this process, I thought maybe we'd start off by just asking, so where are you at or what are what are some of your thoughts about this as we go forward? I think a really good place to start is actually to remind ourselves and maybe even teach some that are listening uh, about a church way of thinking about sin. There are actually two models throughout church history. There are more, but two major ones, and they are called Christus Vicar and Christus Victor. Of course, it's good Latin. Remind us again what vicar means. Yeah, so vicar means stand-in or substitute. And really what Ryan and I have been talking about for this entire conversation is uh, sin within that system. And that system is pretty simple. Uh, I mean, it's, of course, incredibly complex, too, but we can make it very simple, which is to say that sin is the thing that gets in the way of our relationship with God And as a result, it needs to be taken care of by somebody better than us or a sacrifice better than what we can sacrifice. And so Jesus, as the vicar, V-I-C-A-R, vicar, he stands in for us by dying upon the cross and therefore paying for our sins. And the way sin works in that system, of course, is that it gets in the way even after Jesus paid that substitutionary um, sacrifice. It gets in the way of our relationship with God, not in the eternal way in this system, but certainly in the way that David says in Psalm 51, against you I have sinned, you only. And because, And that's because all sin gets elevated to the place where it's against God. Yeah, and Does like that make we, sense? Yeah, and like we talked about last time, and I think for both of us, there was this idea that even though we were taught that Jesus's death, you know, did that stand in once for all, right? There was this uh-huh. constant feeling and need within us that it felt like that was having to be done over and over again every time we did something wrong, right? Like that right. we could never quite get a handle on this idea that, or I don't know if you want to say it that way, or like, it was really hard to actually believe and uh, live with this idea that it really was one time for everything. Right. And I think that it depends on your tradition. And I'm going to speak a little in my zone that I'm not sure of, but I believe that Catholicism really believes that that continually happens, maybe not in a Christus Vicar way, certainly that way, but maybe not only that way. Um, at every Mass. And so they celebrate a Mass and they celebrate that sacrifice every time. Lutherans, as we talked about last time, we have a cycle constantly going and remembering that and actively participating in it, not as if it's happening anew, but as we're going back and we're remembering that. Whereas for you, it seemed like it was more in your everyday life that that was something that came up often, that continual cycle. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd ever hear the word vicar in a Pentecostal church, um, you know, but that understanding was very much the one that um, that I dealt with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's typically the model that a lot of people deal with. Uh, And it doesn't matter whatever terminology you want to use to describe Christians. 
conservative, liberal, uh, high church, low church, pretty much all of them deal with this model. Yet, there's a second model that's really uh, true within the church and really popular within the church throughout its history, and that is Christus Victor. I wish it was not another word that sounded so close, but uh, Victor, like the victory or the victor over. Can we call it Christus Winner? I suppose you could. <laughs> I'm just saying it sounds more different. But hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and the, the classic image of this, in art at least, is Jesus holding a white flag with the right uh, with a, a red cross on it and stabbing enemies. Like you know, Luther loved this, and it was stabbing <laughs> Satan <laughs> or stabbing death, or really most often it's over a grave. And the whole idea is simple. It's that, again, it's incredibly complex in terms of the way it gets lived out, but the basics of it is pretty simple. And that is that Jesus stands as the victor, as the um, hero over our the bad guys. Um, Luther always says, sin, death, and the devil. He says those three things all the time. As an interesting side note, you know, I did hear that kind of language they, again, they never would have said uh-huh. Christus Victor, right? But right. it was always tied to the resurrection. Um, I mean, sure, they would talk about the cross being the victory over sin in the grave. But I think for the most part, at least as I remember it, this may not be the case in every church or anything, but as I remember it, the victory language was more tied to the resurrection than the than the death uh, on the cross. Yeah, I think that's true for Lutherans, too. Um, I believe that that's why we really love the Christus Vicar, V-I-C-A-R model, because, um, boy, Lutherans love them some cross. So <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, and so for me, as I'm uh, you know, learning about these models, I'm kind of working through them, and I have stories that I could share. I'll share one. Uh, I actually went to a symposium in our at our seminary. It was for mostly a doctor. I'm sorry, uh, master students uh, getting their masters of divinity. But in that one, a Lutheran professor was actually saying quite clearly that Lutherans need to be people of the resurrection more than people of the cross. Yeah, so when I heard that, I thought to myself, that's fascinating. And since I like to be contrarian, I started thinking about that a bit more. And it just started to resonate with me more and more. I started to see um, that we should be people of the resurrection more than people of the cross. And I started to try to figure out how to fit that in. Well, along the way, what I started to really focus on, and this is where sin fits in. Well, here, first, let's talk about how sin is within that model. Within that model, sin is an enemy to be defeated. I already said that. But our daily sin is not something that we're, I wouldn't say we're not culpable of it, but it's not, which means we're not guilty of it, but it's certainly something that's underplayed. There's not a whole lot in this model about how we have done sins to separate us from God Rather, sin as an enemy stands in our way. Do you know what I mean, the difference there between the two? Um, I was just about to ask you, what's the difference between separated and stands in our way? So the stands in the way when it comes to sin as an enemy, it could be our sin. It could be original sin. It could be evil personified in, in the devil, of course. But it's not really something that we're doing. It's more something that's happening to us. Okay. So that, okay. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, Sin is uh, an ongoing event. It's not a condition or, or something like that. Right. Like um, we are affected by sin because sin is not because we are consistently sinful sinners. I mean, whether right. we say or not, that's not the point. And it's really important to know that both models have both expressions of this. However, each model leans on one or the other. So Christus Vicar, V-I-C-A-R, leans on the culpability, the guilt, the personal sin, whereas Christus Victor leans more on the oppression and um, the, the enemy of sin. 
So that's what those two models are. And we'll talk about how that leads to maybe a new place we could go. But I do really want to spend some time with those models and ask you, Ryan, and maybe anyone who's listening, how did you see those surface in your tradition? Or did you see them surface in your tradition? Well, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, I I never heard them termed that way. Um, But I think there was very much the idea of, you know, Christ, um, you know, he paid, uh, he paid our debt kind of model. Right. Um, so like Jesus paid it all. That's the song I'm trying to think of this idea yeah. that, you know, they, it was very much a, um, Jesus, not only Jesus stood in our place, right. And took the wrath of God upon himself so that I don't have to, or, um, like God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of on us. Mm, yeah. Was, right very much, very much a thing. And I do remember them talking about, um, you know, Christ as Victor, (laughs) V-I-C-T-O-R. But Uh I'm trying to think, I don't think that, see, I'm trying to think if they were ever separate or they always talked about together. And it's hard to say. I think if we're talking about time outside of Good Friday and Easter, I don't remember them being talked about together a lot. You might hear one or the other, you know, depending on what things we're focusing on. But I think, I think very much like as we've been talking about it, I've been thinking, gosh, even if we had just tied them together more or made them um, not as separable or or not as separate as they became, Uh that would have really helped with the kinds of issues we were talking about previously, you know? Um, even if we still, uh, like hung on to this idea that, um, Jesus is our sacrifice, right. And stands in our place. I wonder if this idea that, but also, you know, victory has been achieved. I wonder if that would have changed some of the negative effects that I think the Vicar V I C A R model brought that we've been talking about. Yeah, I like that because I think what I started to learn is that, you know, both models have their pros and cons. And in fact, scripture talks in both ways and more. It talks about um, the stand in, you know, a lamb of God who, um, gosh, my Lutheran brothers would be terrified. Um, Well, just look at Isaiah and, you know, he was crushed for our iniquities kind kind of stuff, you know. Right. So you've got that, but you've also got a lot of language of how Christ is the victor over all of the stuff. We get, you know, him on a white horse in Revelation. That's pretty telling. But we also get the um, triumphal march, um, Palm Sunday, which is, uh, you know, tricky to talk about quickly. But uh, and then you've got the post-resurrection stuff that he does that are all bathed in victory rather than um, forgiveness. So, yeah, both models are really important. I really started to lean on Christus Victor because uh, I didn't see that, V-I-C-T-O-R. I didn't see that as much in my tradition. In fact, mine's probably a lot like yours in terms of the use of these models. I would say uh, percentage-wise, we probably spent 10% on Christus V-I-C-T-O-R. Most of the time, it was Christus Vicar, V-I-C-A-R. And, uh, you know, you take Easter out, you're down to like 8% because Easter is a pretty easy time to do. He's the victor over sin, death, and the devil for Lutherans. One thought I had was I think one part where it may have came up a little more for us than maybe it did for you was because um, heaven and eternal life were such a big part of the evangelistic pitch to people, whether you Uh did it or not, like that concept, right? Um, Right. In a way, I think that's very much Christ as victor, right? Uh, as okay. the, um, And so in a sense, maybe we did hear it a little more. But And, you know, we're just doing our best here. I didn't take transcripts of every sermon I ever heard as a child. <laughs> um, but I think uh, there was often the reason that Christ as the, the winner came up was it often was tied to reward as heaven and eternal life. Uh, yeah kind of thing you know which i'm not saying that there's not that doesn't make sense or something but i think right. that often often the emphasis as i remember it 
Yeah, for me, it was it started to be more of a new thing. I know you're thinking uh, back into your past. Uh, so I know you've had this experience, too, when that was kind of brought to the fore in conversation between you and I. It, it was refreshing and nice to hear mm-hmm. um, because it was so new. And it was like, yeah, well, the seeing Jesus, not necessarily as a hero, that's a bit too limiting, but as the victor. Over all of that stuff and what that means brought a lot of clarity and provided, at least for me, as we're discussing how can we move forward, it allowed for a path to something different. Yeah, for and, me, it's kind of like, can we do that? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it was so there's something different that started me down this path when it comes to sin is I started to see sin differently. Right In the Christus Vicar, V-I-C-A-R model, sin is something that I do, a la Psalm 51, against you and you alone I sin. And so I'm, I'm focusing a lot on how I've hurt my relationship with God, maybe even put it into jeopardy or damaged or broken it. And I spend a whole lot of time thinking about how shitty I am, uh, as we've talked about in the last two episodes. Right. And, 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 you know, um, maybe we could just pause for a second on that, too, because you used a very important word there of this idea of um, relationship. Right. So these things that I do, these sins, these uh, me being a sinner makes this separation or uh, break in the relationship between me and God, um, uh-huh. you know, and and it's it's interesting when you think about that, because. I just, I don't know. To me, it always felt like that's a very human way of looking at relationships with God. I don't know. Maybe we want to talk about that later, but I just um, thought it might be worth it to just look at that a little bit. Is it kind of like, so the way I would phrase that, you were too nice. I think it's a very selfish way to think about your relationship with God. Okay. How so? Well... I mean, is your relationship with God always dependent on what you do, you say, you think? Well, How... I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, no, but that was the... That was yeah, the, right? Like, exactly. But, it, like, it's selfish, not in necessarily the evil, like, you know, you're being selfish and greedy type way, but just in the self-centered way, like... Your relationship with God is so brittle that no matter what you do... Uh, you have to constantly gauge whether or not you've broken it. Well, yeah, in a way, it's almost like a, a, a masochistic narcissism or something, right? Like it's not narcissism in the sense of like the the um, I'm the smartest person in the room, everybody else is uh-huh. trash kind of sense of the right. word. More this idea, though, that but we've made ourselves the central, most important part of the relationship with God, ourselves and yeah. what we do, and you know, like relationships. Healthy human relationships, he shouldn't even work that way, right? Right. Our relationship with God, the Creator, (laughs) like I think, yeah, I think that for like like you, I think that was part of what's made me start to look at some ways forward here because that doesn't seem to be the kind of relationship not just that God wants to have with us, but I don't think that God is capable of that kind of selfish relationship. I don't think so either, especially because the major consequence is the second word in the title for this conversation, which is if it's a self-centered or selfish in this way relationship, then the pretty much the only outcome that you can depend on is shame. Shame has to be the end result, right? You have to eventually get to a place of, as I've said, I'm a shitty person or, and liturgical, because you can't say that in church, (laughs) I'm a poor, wretched sinner. Yeah, maybe there's room for it, but I'm a poor, wretched sinner. That's the only thing you can come to. And then because we are human, what we end up doing is we play this cycle in our brain of like, what we've already talked about. Why do I keep on doing this? Why do I keep on breaking my relationship with God? Why is he always being, you know, hurt by what I'm doing? And eventually it just has to come back for most of us, not everybody, but for most of it comes back and says, well, because I am dirty, because I am worthless. 
Yeah, because I mean, it, it, I'm kind of thinking about this just as we talk about it. And I think what it does is it either makes God fragile <laughs> or, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, he can't, God can't stand up to our sins in the relationship and therefore it's broken. Or it makes God a an abuser, right? God, someone right. who um, holds our our misdeeds over us to control us, you know, like an abusive relationship would do. And so, you know, I guess the question from there is like, so where does that lead us then, right? Like, so so where is that kind of making you think about, um, I don't know, like what sin is or or how how it uh, is still present or, or is it like, what, what are you thinking about that kind of stuff? Yeah. So the way I kind of move away from that is I start thinking, okay, well, if I don't want it to be selfish in the sense that my actions are what determines our relationship, which was an easy step for me, I think. Um, I'm not sure it's so easy for a lot of Christians or some Christians but because uh, Lutherans do have a strong heritage of grace, it was kind of easy for me to move there. It took some prodding, but eventually I got there and I just rested in this grace that's been given to us through Jesus. I mean, he's the whole point we're doing this thing called Christianity, and he gives us grace and he loves us so much. And so I started to really rest in that reality. So that's the first answer. The first answer is, I think in order to combat the the shame, I was being shown this. I don't think I was intentionally doing this. I think God was working within me to show me this, uh, reveal it that I am forgiven and loved no matter what. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. I'm still loved by Jesus, and he is still alongside me. So I, I we have to, as intellectuals, we get sometimes, especially me, I really do want to focus on that first, that it did start with recognizing that I'm actually going to believe what the Bible tells me about what Jesus did, mm-hmm. and that it is a forgiveness that's been given, and it's a once-for-all type forgiveness that we've talked about. Now, there's problems with that phrase, but still, the, the forgiveness is given to us fully and completely by what Jesus does, not just forgiveness, but be, the love that leads to that forgiveness never fails romans right yeah so what you're saying is that jesus's love or god's love through jesus really is unconditional like in the sense of actually unconditional i.e or eg i guess without conditions (laughs) (laughs) I, i say it that way because like of course god's love is unconditional yeah and yet what we've talked about so much in this uh these three episodes is that it always felt pretty conditional for us. It does, yeah. Um, so, at, yeah. At worst, it feels conditional. At best, robotic, right? It's a robotic system. It's that this happens. Yeah. yeah, it's a transaction. That's better. A transactional approach. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because um, it's been a little different for me, you know, as much as I would like to say, Oh, well, I've just learned to rest in God's grace. You know, and I'm not saying you never have problems with that. I'm just saying like it's looked different for me, I think, because I've had a I think I could say more difficult time overcoming the fear and shame that comes from our former understandings than you have. Um, you know, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong on that. But I think I think so. Fair. Yeah. Um and that's why like when we ended the last episode, I was like, gosh, guys, I just don't know. Like part of me wants to just say there is no such thing as sin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, because yeah. the only understanding I had of sin was the difficult, um, unhelpful and I think problematic ways we've been talking about. And as you and I've been talking about this, even right now, um, I'm liking this idea that it's it's God's love just is, you know, God's love doesn't require God's love is. Um, yeah. And I think at the same time, as much as, like I said, part of me is tempted to just say, so, you know, sin is not really something we need to worry about. I I don't think that's actually true. And that's not what you're saying either. Right. Um, But I think I think for me, I've been wrestling with. So how not just how do I define it, although that might be the place I've started, but of like there is there was still this question for me of, okay, so if sin is not those things we talked about, what is it? Right. Right. 
And I can't tell you that I've got the perfect answer for you yet. Um, but I, I think not so much as a definition, but just as a way of thinking about it. For me, what I've been transitioning to is thinking about the effects of sin, um, but not in the sense of like before the effect was always the first one we talked about was, well, it separates us from God. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I wonder if sin is more about how sin separates us from other people or how sin harms other people, you know? Right. Like, the question always sometimes is like, you know, people who aren't a Christian or whatever is like, yeah, but who cares? Like, why does God, if there's a God, why does God care if I steal something, for example? Yeah. And I think the part of, if there's one part of our former understanding I want to hang on to is that there is a sense that sin brings death, right? But not in the sense of eternal penalty and damnation and, and all of those kinds of things, but in that sin works against health and life and um, it somehow negatively affects me or other people, you know? It, yeah. Uh, maybe a better way to put it is it hurts, you know? It hurts, and, yeah. and, and that's why God is concerned with sin, not because God has a ledger wherein God's keeping track of all the things we do so God can be disappointed and cry about it, but <laughs> yeah. in the sense that God is concerned with sin because God doesn't want us to hurt, because God loves us and God wants us to be healthy and have life and life abundantly and those kinds of things. Um I think, like I said, I'm still thinking about this, but I think that that uh, approach or that way of looking at it has really helped me in the sense of not not just so I can say, well, is this sin or is this not sin? Because eventually that runs into the same problems we've talked about, but more of like it's kind of, I think, beginning to help me refocus on why sin matters Um in terms of relationship, but not in the way I thought. Does that make sense? It certainly does. And I think that that's exactly what I started to do. And maybe a more precise question instead of what is sin. And I think this honors what you're saying is, what is my relationship to sin as a concept? Mm, Yeah, because we're still saying sin is still a relational thing. It's like, I don't think we're saying it's not, but we've really kind of shifted the focus of that relationship. Yeah. So if my relationship the Christus Vicar model, V-I-C-A-R, my relationship to sin is always with guilt. Always. Always, always, always. It's always about guilt and my relationship with God being broken. Um, but my relationship to sin specifically is that it is actionable things that I do or original sin that is within me that I have to then feel guilty about, and I do feel guilty about. And of course, that leads to shame. Brene Brown kind of distinguishes the two. We don't have to go into that. But in that relationship, or sorry, in that model, the relationship to sin is that I'm always culpable and always wrong and always in danger. Where I think you and I are kind of leaning towards, I'm going to use a different word, and I'm sorry if you've been listening this whole time, you're like, just say what it is. We're, we're getting there. Uh, um, what it is is that our in the Christus Victor, V-I-C-T-O-R model, our relationship to sin is always oppressive. Yeah. It's always oppressive. And that means that sin hurts. I love that phrase. Sin hurts. It, it kind of feels personified a little bit. In, in this sense, which I think is more helpful than it is harmful. Um, but it's not always that people are doing bad things to us, but that sin in this world exists in such a way that it always hurts. It's not ever something that just kind of happens. It always hurts, not our relationship with God, because Jesus took care of that, but our relationship with other people. And that's exactly where you were going, I think. Right. And that's why it's still a concern. Um, Because, I mean, you could look at any number of things Jesus said about um, how to love God. And Jesus said things like, you know, lay down your life for your friends. Jesus said things like, love God, love people. You know, the whole point was we're supposed to be in good, healthy relationship with each other. 
because yeah, like we've talked about, um, you know, God doesn't need us in the way that we need God. Right. <laughs> right. right. God loves us, but God would be okay and would still be God if, uh, you know, we all died tomorrow. Um, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. What's interesting, like, so we don't get too biblical here, but first Corinthians 14 is a really great example of what this looks like because there you have a sin that or something that would normally be a sin, which is eating meat from idols. And Paul basically says, uh, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> if you want to eat from idols, that's fine. Now, he then goes on to say, but mm-hmm. if you have somebody around you who has a problem with that, make sure that you're taking care of them by not eating from idols. Right, because what is that doing? It's not that eating, because he's saying, look, whether you eat food to these, I think, I don't know if he says dead idols, but that's kind of his point, right? It doesn't matter because there's nothing going on there. So he talks about, let me just interject real quick. He says basically that you're Christians, you know these idols aren't true, so what's it matter to you? Right, so it doesn't matter if you eat it. So like God's not mad and you're not sinning just by eating that. However, if you do so, knowing that it will hurt someone else, that's where it becomes a problem, right? Um, Right. And I think, is that where he leads into the beneficial, but permissible, but not beneficial thing? Exactly. Yes. Everything is permissible. And, you know, a lot of people in the Christus Vicar model think that leads to licentiousness and so forth. And I just think that's wrongly, uh, that's a wrong, or let's say, unhelpful critique of that uh, use of theology. It's just that it reminds us that grace covers us. It doesn't mean, as Paul says, does that mean you can sin and do whatever you want? No. It just says that not everything is beneficial because it doesn't help your neighbor. It doesn't help your fellow human beings that you live this life with. Besides, I mean, the whole... um vicar model v-i-c-a-r you know maybe we don't need to keep spelling it i don't know but that whole approach that we talked about um that never stopped me from sinning that just made me feel terrible and, and terrified right. afterwards right so it's not the same as like licentiousness in in the way of like well it doesn't matter no no it didn't stop me from doing any of it it just made it matter all the time in really right. scary ways um yeah and i think i think if we're going to now we don't always want to judge things based off their utility uh, that's uh, you know pragmatism, utilitarianism. We don't want to do that. But if we measure it based off of utility and we measure it based off of what helps you sin less, Christus Vicar doesn't do that at all. As you just said, it makes us just feel worse as time goes on. And I've seen that effect. I have seen Christians who believe that model so strongly that that's the only model they have that when they're 86, 87, 92, 93, 94, they are still terrified that they're going to break their relationship with God if they don't hear that Jesus died for their sins and get absolved of their sins in the Lutheran tradition. I mean, like, if you want to think of it in one way, you could say, you know how they uh, there's this idea among some circles that in the U.S., you know, the death penalty is a is a preventative measure, like it stops people from committing crimes. And yet when they've done studies of it and, and, and looked at it that way, it's not really a deterrent. It's it doesn't like it doesn't actually function that way. It's more of a punishment than anything else. But that's kind of what we're talking about here, just in more of an eternal sense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So like going back just a little bit, I wonder, and I don't know, I've been wondering, so what would it look like if our approach to sin was not so much, you know, is this okay? Will I go to hell or not? As is this beneficial? You know, Um, and I don't want to make like a litmus test that you have to go through every time because then we're just back where we started. But I I more Mm -hmm. mean, like, you know, I think it does what we're trying to figure out is, okay, so how as a Christian, then how do we not relate to sin, but how does sin affect us? Or what do we make of it? I think maybe, yeah, maybe Paul was onto something. Like, (laughs) what would that I wonder what that would look like, though, if if we shifted the focus again, yeah, not to the point of, well, you know, so everything's fine. But to the point of like, how does this affect others? How does it 
and if it benefits me, you know, you got to ask about that too, right? Like, uh-huh. how does it benefit me? And is it still a benefit if it benefits me and hurts other people? Right. Right. Um, so I, I guess that that's what I wonder about is I wonder what that kind of thing would look like. Yeah, I started to think about things not in terms of, which is weird, because um, in my tradition, I'm so different <laughs> than most of the people I know. That's true. Yeah. Um, I don't think about things in terms of, is this a sin? What I think about is whatever I'm, if I'm considering doing something or if I'm reflecting on it after doing it, I ask myself kind of two questions. It's not as structured as I'm going to make it sound, but I do think about these two questions. One is, did I help people? And two, did I add to the oppression in this world? If I ask those two questions, then I get to a place where I can um, deal with sin. I think for me, that's more healthy. So I could say I didn't help people. And so that would be what, you know, we're not going to get into this too much, but a sin of omission. So I did something that didn't really help people. So I omitted good in the world. Um and I'll get to the positive, but this is the negative side. And then, of course, if I ask the second question, I say, yeah, actually, I added oppression into this world. Then I typically think about, OK, I'm going to ask forgiveness, but I'm also going to move forward and learn and not do those things as far as I can. So that, you know, that makes me really think about uh, a metaphor that we talked about a lot um, in the last episode or two, like about this subject. And I think it came up now some, but, you know, we talked a lot in those ones about sin as being compared to sickness or disease. Um, But it always had the sense of like, it was something you did to yourself. And we talked about why that's problematic, but I wonder if, again, like we've been talking about this whole time here, I wonder if it's just another thing that we need to shift rather than entirely throw out the window in that I think in a way, I think sin is like sickness, but not like, not like the kind where I did something to my body. So now I am sick, but Mm -hmm. the kind of sickness wherein I was born with something not working in my body correctly or I have this sickness I have to deal with through no fault of my own, but it really complicates my life and makes it horrible at times and hard to hard to make it through. Right. Because I think that's what we're saying is sin is like in it like sin is, but it's not. It's not just it's not culpability. Right. I think maybe what we're coming to is we've conflated the two into one thing and they're not. At least I don't I don't think they should be. Um, I think that's what leads to the kind of problems we've been talking about. Yeah, it's kind of like so the model thing that I said that both models have each of these things, but one leans on the other uh, more heavily. And I think what needs to happen is we need to lean more heavily on sickness, not as something we're culpable of, but sickness is something that oppresses us. And that doesn't mean that we can't have a conversation of culpability at some point. It just means that maybe we recognize that, hey, uh, because we're human, sickness happens. <laughs> um, people get sick all the time. And in fact, where I thought you were going was more in terms of what do I do when I notice my kid is sick? Right. Well, yeah. and that's what God's role in the in the sin thing is, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, and our role to other people, instead of playing a culpability game, we can then do something like, hey, that sucks. <laughs> and no one wants to be sick. How about I help you and work through that together? Right. And I don't I don't want to be cutesy here. But if this were a sermon, I'd say something along the lines of, okay, it is cutesy. But like, <laughs> your job is to bring chicken soup to somebody who's sick. Or oh, yeah. if you really want to be more helpful, <laughs> it's to give it's to bring them medicine, or it's to get them to the doctor or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to say there, the doctor being Jesus, you know, but um, regardless- I actually ran into a problem with this um, because, you know, it's ironic that this is happening during a time where we're doing COVID and that that's the whole thing right now. Um, and, you know, the, the sickness is out there and I can't tell you how hard it's been 
to get people to just write a thank you note to somebody who's doing something, recognizing that oppression is in this world so much that people who are on the front lines, people who are essential workers or healthcare workers, whatever it was, that they need a word of encouragement because they are oppressed by this sin in this world. And yet this model is so different for people, it's just hard for them to reach out and do that because they are so focused on not themselves in a selfish way like, oh, what good does it get me? No, in the religious way that we've been talking, they're focused on their own sin and what they've been doing. And when you're so focused on that, it's really hard to help somebody who's sick to like kill this metaphor and make it so we never want to use it again. (laughs) When we're sick, it's really hard to take care of other people who are sick. Or when we recognize that we're sick and we're really like focusing on, oh, I just feel awful. You know, you don't want to go to work and all that kind of stuff. And you don't take care of the people around you. Um, that's the problem, I think. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of piggyback on that, um, in my job as a chaplain, I've talked about this kind of thing with people. This, you know, with with COVID going on, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from, you know, the people I work with are by and large in very much older people, right? Uh-huh. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, I think this is all God trying to teach us something. And I, uh-huh. and what, no, but what I've discovered is yes, but what God is trying to teach us is that we're supposed to be taking care of everybody, right? God's, uh, okay. God's not sending us this because we did something wrong and now we're going to get it, right? Uh-huh. God is teaching us to take care of each other. Yeah. And I think that. If sin has use, and I believe with you that it does, I think primarily right now where we are is it seems to be use as oppression. If we can conceptualize or if we can believe or if we can even just see that sin hurts us all, that sin is an equalizer with a lot of us, that we actually don't have to worry about whether or not we're culpable. And the best thing we can do is assume we are (laughs) and that we're forgiven and that then we need to worry about not whether or not we're going to do something that's sinful, but that maybe if we add more oppression to this world, it's not good. And what we need to do instead is seek to reduce that oppression and maybe even increase the help such as Let's give uh, chicken soup to somebody who needs it because they're hungry and they can't take care of themselves. Right, right. I guess maybe we said this earlier, but that not giving chicken soup, but that kind of thing was what Jesus's ministry was about on earth. And it's it's if, if we're if we're Christians, like that's the kind of thing we should do now in the sense of because we want to be like Jesus, not because we're afraid we're going to burn in hell forever if we don't. Because what you see in Jesus's ministry is how he helped people. Everyone he interacted with. Yeah, I think everyone you could say everyone he interacted with was Uh changed for the better from it. Maybe even the Pharisees who didn't seem to to uh, react (laughs) very positively to what he said. You know, we we don't the the Gospels don't tell us what happened after those interactions. I'm not trying to say they all came to faith in Jesus. That's not what I mean. But I'm just saying is that Jesus always affected people for the better, even when he talked to them harshly. But most of the things you see in there is Jesus lifting up people who shouldn't be, spending time with people who shouldn't be, because Jesus saw oppression and worked to change it. That's what Jesus did. That's why he was so angry with the religious leaders, right? Right. They were perpetuating that kind of thing. and that was the, that was their biggest sin, just like it is for all of us, um, because it separates people from people. Well, and it adds, so their biggest sin, I don't know if I caught it completely, but our biggest sin is that we add oppression to this world. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it, I think. We create it, um, like, all the time, you know, it's... I don't know. I would, I, that's not the best way to put it, but well, I so think... so the what I can't help but think about, which is weird because I usually don't go here, but I think of the story of the widow who gives the two coins, right? Mm-hmm. And usually, what we do there, there's word word uh, sorry, there's room for this where the person who's oppressed 
is brought up by Jesus, clearly. Um, But because we're talking about the sin of other people, how Jesus does something that seems so shocking to us that he denounces those who give huge piles of money to the temple and what he's saying in our language that we're talking about right now, you see those people, what they're doing is they're adding oppression into this world because they think that by giving huge piles of money, even though it's nothing to them, is doing something good for this world. And in fact, what it's doing is it's holding up the systems this religious system that keeps this poor widow who can barely take care of herself, that she has to give all that she is, and that's beautiful and we want to value that. But at the same time, those others are adding an oppression to this system that upholds it. And that is the key problem. Yeah, and I think... We want to be really careful of that kind of thing to, you know, if if we want to hang on to any part of our former understanding of sin about being vigilant about not sinning, you know, that's the part thing we need to watch out for, um, that we are not adding to oppression um, or that if we realize that we are, that we work to uh, correct it or we work healing or we work or we we repent and try to work with everyone so that it's not like that right you know um but i mean that's what every human should do hopefully <laughs> but especially people who claim to be christians especially the church of jesus christ right like we should be very we, we must i think that's the if there's any part of that former thing we should hang on to it's that constant vigilance of watch that we don't um we don't oppress people, but especially in that kind of way. We don't want to use, you know, spiritual power uh-huh. to ensure our own um, places of privilege. Yeah. And you know what I love about this? I'm just discovering this in our conversation, but I love that this way of seeing sin honors people because it assumes that you actually can, now not fully, but that you can prevent adding oppression to this world. Yes, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, as I say, Holy Spirit juice has has helped to get us going. Yes, all that. But nevertheless, that we can, that we can transform this world, that we can reduce the oppression that we give, maybe even correct the oppression uh, that, you know, we have given in this world. Right. And, And I think so often... And I've probably said it myself before, whatever you want to talk about, let's just say justice, right? We'll say, well, you know, we'll never have justice on the earth. And we end the conversation there of like, so we shouldn't even try. And that's so frustrating of like, we should not let the absolute be in that much control over us in the sense of what if we said, I don't know if we'll ever have justice on earth, but how can we bring justice to the situation we're in right now? Yeah. You know, and I don't know what will happen, but if we trust the spirit to lead us into how that will work and we have, you know, Jesus helping us out, then let's see what happens. I, I guess I just so am so tired of and so frustrated with, well, it's it's probably really hard and it just is how it is. So I guess we'll just always have injustice yeah. in the world. And so I'm not going to do a single thing about it. Well, I guess that's uh, not only is that depressing, but um it really is the opposite of what I think Jesus calls us to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that I like this idea that we can work towards, let's say like this, a more, since you use justice, a more just world, or in the language that we've been saying, a less oppressive world. What if we left this world knowing that it's less oppressive, at least in the circles and in the the interactions that we've had, that people can look back on their lives and say, you know what? I feel less oppressed. I'll give you a really good example of this. I didn't, you know, we're discovering this as we go, and I didn't even think I'd share this story. But I work with a a female um, uh, church worker. In our tradition, we don't ordain women. That's a whole other question altogether. I don't want to get into that. But um, it just sets the 
the stage that you can imagine. I'm sure, Ryan, you more than most. You can imagine that she doesn't have the best time amongst other pastors. Can you imagine that? I I would expect, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. After two years of working with her, she it makes me feel so grateful and so sad at the same time. I'll, I'll try to keep it together. Um, I was having sort of a yearly review with her, and I'm really bad personally of knowing how people view me. Um, there's a lot of issues behind that. So I always try to get feedback as much as I can so that way I know how to adjust and how to change. And so I asked her, I said, how do you like working here? Um, you know, you can give me the the standard employee response or you can, if, if I've earned some trust with you, I want you to be as honest as you can. And she said to me, she said to me, I've never felt more comfortable working with a male pastor than I do with you. And more importantly, and this was the kicker, she has never felt more empowered to do the job that she feels called to do with me as her boss and as her pastor. And for me, sin as oppression really flavors that conversation, that that huge compliment that I received because she was oppressed by people in my profession simply because she was a female. She is a female. Um, And if I, I mean, that for me is a victory. If I were to die tomorrow, I would say, let's hope I don't. But if I were, I would say I've given a world to somebody that's less oppressive than they received it beforehand. Right. And, and I think what I can say from, as you told that story is that you didn't say, well, we don't ordain women and that's bad if you'd say that, but whatever. And so too bad, Uh right? No, what you did was you helped and worked with this person, helped um, address the oppression that was in her life. God puts us where we're supposed to be to address issues of oppression and injustice in our lives. And so we don't have to worry about the bigger part because that's God's responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Instead, what we do is we be sensitive to what God is telling us. Um, how do we help bring healing and help combat oppression in our lives where God has put us? Absolutely. And we all have, and I think this is the benefit of this way of seeing sin, We all have areas where we know oppression is obvious. Like for me, in my profession, because of the lack of women's ordination, and again, we're not talking about whether that's right or wrong, I just know in my church body that there's inherent sexism because of that. Uh, It's systematic. (laughs) I can't get away from that. Uh, Many will disagree, but I see it. There's systematic oppression there, systematic sexism. When I work with her and anyone like her, I can then focus on God. Specifically, I think that sounds a little too churchy to me. I would say I can focus on the love, and maybe this isn't even better, but I can focus on the love that I've been given and share that with them by making sure I don't do as much as I can. I don't do the same oppressive things, the same sexist things, and certainly create a culture between the two of us and more where she can continue to feel that oppression. I can actually destroy that and make that a non-negotiable. When you're with us, that will not be on the table. I will never say, for instance, well, you're a woman, dot, dot, dot. So we've kind of talked around a lot of stuff right here. We, you know, We're on the frontier, so we don't know quite where we're going. We're kind of just figuring it out, you know, clearing out the brush, if you will, to be terrible and cliche and play into a metaphor that long. Um, Do you feel, I I don't think one conversation is going to make you feel more comfortable and give you a solution to what you've been grappling with, but where are you through this conversation? Uh, You said at the beginning that we started without you knowing where you were or where to go. Um, could you reflect on that a little bit for people? Yeah, I um, 
the fact that we were able to that I was able to participate in this conversation at all, um, I think has helped me realize that um, that God is really helping me with this, that um, that God really does want to bring healing and that God was never about the oppression that I suffered. Hmm. You know, I, it sounds so stark to say it yeah. that way. And I don't even mean it in the sense of what people did to me or, or didn't do. Like, I, it's not, it's not what I mean with it, but that, that, that I think God is doing a new work in my heart. And I think in yours and people like us, because God doesn't want that to be the case, you know? And now yeah. I'd love to say, so therefore it's good, right? I never afraid <laughs> anymore. I don't worry. I still do. And there are still, I guess, kind of like nagging doubts about this, you know, because mm. if we'd had this conversation, gosh, when we first met, what, seven, eight years ago now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot has changed in my life since then, but I would have just been like, well, no, can't do that. End of discussion <laughs> because we, yeah. you know, sin is sin and blah, blah, blah yeah. and stuff. And so, you know, I, I've come a long way with it. But I think part of the reason I wanted we wanted to talk about this is because I think it so perfectly shows the kind of journey that we're on, you know, um, mm. like even the way we've had to kind of fumble through parts of this conversation, you know, is because yeah. we're, there's a lot of weeds around this one. You know? Yeah. And but that's OK, because we don't have to give you a systematic theology textbook at the end. Right. Instead, what we're trying to do is how do we follow God? What is God telling us right now? And how, in the case of this discussion, how is God bringing freedom to places of oppression? And I just like, I want to, like, that's where I would end the thought because previously I, I wouldn't have been able to help myself at what I had to say, but also, you know. Uh, okay. No, let's let's not do that. Let's just say, how is God bringing freedom to areas of oppression in our lives and through us to other people? And let's put the period there, at least for now. I couldn't help but think what a systematic textbook by us would look like. And I couldn't. <laughs> I thought about House of Leaves for some oh, reason. Goodness, yes. Oh, man. That, that it'd be kind of like that. Footnotes within footnotes. And you got to write down um, to read it. And you should totally read that book, by the way. Just side note, if you haven't, it's going to burn your brain. But anyway, yes, I think. And it would be impossible before we even began for us to write. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that is a good place to end. Um, if you have felt, if you're listening to this and you resonate with Ryan, or if you've just felt uncomfortable, maybe, maybe most people don't get to this point of the conversation. Um, but if you're here, if you're listening to this and you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, I want you to know something really important, and I want you to know that what Ryan said and what we're saying, we're feeling the same things, or at least we have felt the same things that you're feeling. It's uncomfortable to be out there, especially with something like sin. It's, it's amazing that sin is the conversation that's doing this for us, but it's also, I mean, it's on display for you in this conversation, uh, but it's been there with all the other ones. Mm -hmm. That's what the frontier is. That's what it looks like to live here. And I can't help but think that the God that we love and the God that loves us encourages these conversations because who knew? Ryan and I don't script these things out. All right. We we have ideas of where we're gonna go. You could probably tell. <laughs> yeah, we don't script them out. We have certain ideas of where we're going to go. And who knew that we would start talking about sin and end with a hopeful note that actually talking about sin can bring us to a place where we have compassion and hope for changing the world. Isn't that crazy? That's that's what's been so freeing for me. I think for both of us, but especially for me about this whole frontier thing where we fi we're finding ourselves in is that it lets something like sin and shame turn into a, yeah, but even, even here, God can create hope, right? God brings yeah. hope to, like, God replaces sin and shame with hope. Like, 
man, I wish I were still preaching right now in my life because there's a <laughs> great message in there of like, God never leaves us as God finds us, you know, like, yeah, we were in this place of sin and shame, but God has given us something different. And that's a really good thing. I know that sounds like a dumb thing to say, but like, it's just, in a sense, you run out of words to talk about that kind of thing. But um, that's why I think we've, you know, there's, we've talked about how it's, this journey has been scary and it is still sometimes, even this conversation has times, like I said, that I still am, but at the same time, it's really been, um, really been helping to find those areas of hope um, in a place I would not have expected to find it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And I think I would put in a period on something that just keeps on going through my brain, which is this is why I can't give up. This is why I can't give up on uh, religion. I don't know. That's probably too big. Christianity is probably even too big. Right. This is how you can't give up on Jesus. Yeah, because there's something going on here. There's something, and I don't mean that necessarily in a supernatural, like mystical way, although I'm a fan of mysticism. (laughs) Yeah, it probably is that too. But there's something wonderful about the transformative nature of what's going on here. And we were very intentional about choosing the frontier because of all the reasons we've talked about. But maybe an added layer to that is that the frontier eventually does get transformed into a home, right? into a place where we can reside and we can further explore, certainly, but certainly feel safe and feel confident that what we have is good. Maybe not secure, maybe not absolute, all those things we would kind of fight against, but certainly good for us in that moment. Well, amen. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I not only do I agree, but I just, I think it's just evidence of what we've been talking about is that God brings healing and hope. And we should really, as followers of Christ, as the children of God, right? We should be experiencing this more often than I think we probably have been. Well, I want to thank everyone who's listening. I want to thank you for joining us on this journey. It has been interesting, especially this conversation, especially this part of the conversation. We've been talking about sin. We've been talking about how we grew up with sin, how we started to see cracks that we weren't happy with the way we were taught about sin. And we actually saw it unfold here of maybe Maybe a place we can go with this. Next time you listen to us, we might say something completely different. But at least for now, we're at a place where we've started our exploration on the frontier of saying, maybe this is a good place to go. We want to encourage you to give your feedback whenever you can. Uh, We have an email address. It's uh, FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Send us any of your questions. We certainly want to hear your stories. If you can give us anything about your stories of who's listening to this, we would love to hear that. Uh, We will honor and respect you as best as we can. And we we just want to know where you are. Uh, Maybe you're not on the frontier. Maybe you're somebody who's not really interested in a frontier. Or maybe you have an inkling that the frontier might be there, but you're afraid or you're worried or whatever it might be. Maybe you're past the frontier. Maybe you've come to a new place, a new setting, and you're comfortable. We want to hear those stories. We also want to encourage you to give us any questions, any feedback, any thoughts that you might have, because uh, we want to start to mold this into something where we're working together. Uh, We're all frontiersmen, I believe. Um, At least if you're listening to this by this point, you're probably a frontiersman. Yeah, if you haven't given wanna... up by now, then yes, you you probably are, you know. Yeah. Um, if you don't think we're going to hell, I think we're probably in a good place. That's right. And 
I guess just maybe to wrap us up today, I, you know, I'm not a pastor right now exactly. And I'm certainly not anybody who's listening to, I'm not your pastor, but I just would say if I were, what I would say was even right now with the world on fire in pretty much every way you could imagine, let's look for hope. And I don't mean that tritely. I just mean, let's look what God is doing and ask God to show us how God wants to use us to help others. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye.